Welcome back to Beyond Culture, where the podcast that attempts to bridge the gap between culture and politics. I'm your host, Ivan. Today's episode is a discussion with Mikhail Thompson. Mikhail is currently an executive assistant to the Office of the Chief Government Whip at Queen's Park, and he formerly served as a committee advisor to the Government House Leader's Office. In this episode, we discuss the recent conservative leadership race in Canada. We go through the candidates and highlight the surprises of the night, such as the strong performance by the first black woman to run for the conservative leadership, Leslie Lewis, and we also dive into the big loss by the perceived frontrunner, Peter McKay. Finally, we touch on the current conservative base and the role Aaron O'Toole will have to play in possibly preparing his party for an election. The first part you're about to hear is our conversation with Mikhail, which will then be followed by Abel and myself going through the candidates and their platform. Finally, we'll both discuss the results of that night. Take a listen. Hi, we're back. Beyond Culture here with Mikhail. Uh, now, things have changed. Eh? You work now in the Whip's office. He now has a business card. For those who don't know, uh, so if anything, if no bills are getting passed or anything, it's because of this guy. Wow. Is that safe to say? Wow. If things if things do get passed, it's thanks to you. If things don't get passed, it's thanks to you as well. Uh, I'm a very small part in what is a very big machine, uh, so I I can't take any of the credit, uh, but I can't take all the blame. Should it come? Uh, That's usually how it goes, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Today we're talking about the conservative leadership race. You know, very exciting night. Uh, I wanted to ask you, that's what I was about to ask you. I'm like, I have a beef with somebody. Who do I blame for such a delay? Because I know a lot of people that were covering it, they were up at all times. As we were talking about before the episode started, the newscasters, anchors, Bashi Capellos, all these people, they're on the air. They're on the air for hours and hours. Who do we blame? I mean, it's the party organizers. It's well. I mean, so I guess the the official answer is like uh, social distancing. So the ballot room was live tweet live streamed on Twitch. Mm-hmm. Um, you might have remembered that. And the problem is with there's only one room, mm-hmm. and with social distancing, you can't normally have the numbers of volunteers that you want to count the ballots. There's also health and safety regulations when scrutineering and all of that sort of stuff. So that in theory slowed it down. And then you had that to the rip ballots and. Lack of organization. Look, I mean, it, it looked bad. It, in fact, it looked terrible. Yeah. I was like, this is the sort of these are the sort of mistakes that you're making that you don't want to, you know, that you don't want to be making kicking off a new leader. Mm-hmm. Like it's a really sad like end note to 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 Shears uh, Shears time as leader, and it's an even worse way to kick off uh, leadership for Aaron O'Toole. So, because mm-hmm. yeah. I because I I feel like it would be it's one of those like fiascos that. If the liberals did it, you guys would, the conservatives would be jumping on it because this is. Well, I mean, uh, look, at the end of the day, like, who who really cares? But it's like for people who are in the know, it's just like, is this the level of incompetence that we're up against? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, if they can't even get their own leadership race done mm-hmm. in time, mm-hmm. how are they going to run a successful campaign? Mm-hmm. Right? And for us, you know, working provincially, we're looking at it and we're like, okay, if this is where our federal counterparts are at, mm-hmm. this is bad. But at the same time, um, you know, the, the leadership, the provincial leadership race also took forever to count. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had the first year of the Ford government. So, okay. Well, let's jump into, uh, Leslie Lewis. Cause you actually introduced me to her first, like a while back. You're like, yo, might have a first black woman. 
as a leader of the of the conservative party. And I'm just like, I didn't know exactly who she was. What was your first take when you saw Liz and Lewis? Before you even saw her on the, the debate stage, because you talked to me way before the debate stage. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I got a tip off from a friend of mine. He's like, hey, have you heard of Les and Lewis? I was like, who? Right. Yeah. And he was just like, look, this is, you know, it's like this girl, this woman is strong support. She's a lawyer. She's very bright. Da, da, da. And I was like, OK, cool. This this is a really interesting candidate. Um, mm-hmm. And then I saw then I spoke to some people who were on her team. And their team was really ambitious, very mm-hmm. bright. They were well-connected as well. And then I just started getting her emails. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew there was, for me, there was questions about um, the fundraising and just how big her, her actual fundraising base was uh, to get over the line. Uh, and then I met her uh, and we spoke and, you know, I, I brought it up. I was like, you know, it's one thing for us to throw support behind this, but I don't know if you're actually here for the long haul. I don't know if this is just like a publicity stunt yeah. you to go and get uh, a seat the next election or actually, you know, committed to leader. And she and her whole team were like, look, the money's not an issue. All we need is the signatures and we need the ballots and, and the ballots at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And then she raised the funds and it was, it was game on. Mm-hmm. It was game on. And on top of that too, she's a UFT grad. Yeah. Fellow, fellow UFT Blues, Varsity Blues, man. Varsity Blues, baby. What's up? Y'all are rep. Did you guys ever talk about that or, or no? But she, she and I, no, we didn't really bring it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter, like, mm-hmm. in the context of, of where the race was. Like, mm-hmm. it's honestly, it's always nice to have, like, you know, people from your own school doing well. But, you know, it was more interesting to me to see, like, a black conservative lawyer who is also a woman. Uh, running for what has historically been one of the most white male dominated jobs in, in history so mm-hmm. i thought that was like the real story like uft yeah it's nice but you know and on top of that she's from the island oh, like she she has she look she has it as like as far as i'm concerned like you know like it's, it's a slam dunk right yeah it's, it's like she she's my people right and mm-hmm. so it's always going to be that whole like, you know what, it's, it's somebody who looks like you, it's somebody who represents things that you represent. She's like a really strong conservative. She's bright and she's somebody who we can genuinely get behind. Mm-hmm. One of her big problems, though, she wasn't elected. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. the lack of experience really like that was like my biggest concern. I was like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you don't understand about legislation, about procedure, about the process, about what a government can and cannot do and why. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there were some points where it really showed just like. Uh, even in the debates, right, where it's like, what are you going to do? And it's very difficult for somebody who's never been through that process to know what can and cannot be done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that she was she was lacking there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, normally that would be a pretty big obstacle, right? Mm-hmm. And, but for her to actually have overcome that and do better than she was projected to do, and the end, everyone was talking, you know, she's going to get less than 15%. Derek Sloan is... You know, he's going to be taking a ton of her votes. And then, you know, by third ballot, people were like, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Like she sank the McKinney campaign. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, and just one thing to mention also is just that uh, the entrance fee was was super high. It, know, was, it was really high. Yeah, it was, was $300,000. And uh, yeah, she, she cleared it. And, you know, and uh, I, I, I was talking to Ifa and I didn't know who she was as most Canadians, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, didn't and uh, she, it was just impressive how how she did during the race. You know yeah, how no, well she, she did. She had a really she had a really really good campaign team. Like their their approach, their Twitter game was fire. Like her Twitter game was I didn't great. See that. 
her Twitter game was great from even before, right? When mm-hmm. she first been put on my radar, I was following her on Twitter. I'm like, she's saying all of the things that somebody who's running for leader should say. She's supporting all of the right people. She's making right statements. Like her, like her email game, her literature game, her Twitter game is. is mm-hmm. It was it was hands down the best. Right? Mm-hmm. People loved reading her emails. They were nuanced. They were nuanced. They were interesting, and it was something different than like usually like your traditional just like we can defeat. Da, 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 if you just donate now, you know, mm-hmm. it was actually, hey, let me lay out some really nuanced points on my policy platform or where mm-hmm. I stand on certain issues. And what was really interesting about her, she actually took very firm stances on social issues. Mm-hmm. Right. And she said, this is not going to hold me back. I'm not going to go cater to anybody. These are the things that I believe. This is why I believe them. And I don't hold just like traditional yay or nay views. It's I have reasons for why I believe the things that I believe. And I think for a lot of conservative voters who are on the fence about certain issues, it was nice to see somebody who's like, you know, someone who's willing to think these issues through mm-hmm. instead of just blindly following, like, you know, one big idea or just one personality or I am the guy because of, who, of where I was before. So it was it was it was good to see because when you don't mm-hmm. have experience to rely on, like your arguments really matter. And the two things I wanted to touch on for her, especially uh, first thing was that like Les- Leslin Lewis, she destroyed, she was not destroyed, but she was number one in terms of the second ballot. Uh, obviously, that doesn't it won't count towards your overall points yeah. allocated, but the fact that she is number one in second ballot, what does that tell you? I mean, it tells, it tells, there's a, there's a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, one, um, that being, that her, her stance on a lot of issues is more in line with the other two candidates. Yeah. Um, in terms of like your average conservative voter, right? Mm-hmm. Like of all of the candidates, she was probably the most in tune with the base, mm-hmm. um, like the, the traditional conservative base. Um, someone like Peter McKay, for example, really tried to expand the base. Um, and there's all there's this big conversation going around about what do we do about the base? Does the base mm-hmm. need to expand? And if so, how does do, do we do it by going over to the left and like, you know, taking socially progressive stances and trying to get, you know, liberals on board for the conservatives? Or do you do it by making the case to be a conservative more compelling? Mm-hmm. Right. Or just opening people's perceptions on what conservatism is, because conservatism, uh, you know, it's we heard this a lot on the, the um, in the election days, like. We are no longer hyper conservatives, right? Conservatism in Canada is now firmly on a new wave and a new path. And she, in terms of finding what that identity is, is probably most in tune with it. And it's Mm -hmm. going to be very interesting to see how, you know, our new leader, Aaron O'Toole, Mm -hmm. is going to be moving to position himself on that side. Mm -hmm. Um, Because in in the end of the campaign, like, he definitely was really just trying to take a lot of Lewis's voters, attacking things like she doesn't have a record and so on. And he doubled down there. But it's going to, I think it sends a pretty clear signal that the base does not necessarily need to be expanded by bringing in people on the left. But Mm -hmm it's going to be, it, it should be expanded by making a more compelling argument, right? Mm-hmm. Nuancing your views and so on. And last thing I had to say on her as well, uh, I wanted to get your take. It seems to me that the conservative party was very proud that a candidate like Leslie Lewis did well. Like, do you feel like for them, it's kind of a surprise that they're, the base was so accepting to a, a black woman? Like, it's a different look yeah, for them or it's, something. It, you know, that's, it was a really pleasant surprise, right? Yeah. Because I'm like, look, there is a world where we see, like, you know, old, like, what we think of, like, old 
true blue conservatives just being like, look, at the end of the day, she's not an MP, she's not white, she's not a man, I don't trust her to be leader. Mm -hmm. um, and we saw that was not the case at all, right? It really sends a signal, I guess, to everybody, right? That, you know yeah. what, we are going to be a lot more accepting of people with different ideas, a lot more accepting of people with, you know, different, um, with different backgrounds, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not something I would have believed maybe five or ten years ago. I didn't think I didn't think that she would have done anywhere near as well um, when I first saw her running. Mm -hmm. But just seeing the momentum grow and watching the polling numbers come in week after week, I was like, "Wow, this is a real breath of fresh air." Mm -hmm. It's 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 a it's a good thing for Canadian democracy overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, so in terms of just exp uh, about what you do with the base, right? Um, there is also this conversation going right now with Derek Sloan, whether he should be kicked out of caucus or um, what the new uh, leader should do. Uh, well, talk to talk to us a little bit about that, about the just the kind of the internal discussions, because earlier. So if people don't know, Derek Sloan is is a MP from Hastings, Lennox and Addington. Um, and he was running for for leadership as well, and he he was he was like the social conservative of I guess of the race, um, and he had some remarks uh, regarding uh, um, so he had some remarks regarding Dr. Teresa Tam and uh, the remarks he was basically questioning her loyalty to to the country, which is. I'll just it's shocking. Yeah, it's shocking. I'll I'll say it's racist. And uh and uh and when that happened there was there was actually a conversation in the the Federal Conservative Caucus of what to do with him, whether to kick him out or not, and mm -hmm. the party was divided from what I hear, but he was able to survive that. Uh and uh now the liberals are going full on attack. I think they have a... Uh, they're sending out emails and stuff and tell basically telling the asking the new leader Erin O'Toole to kick him out of the caucus um so yeah if if you could just talk a little bit about yeah. like what is what's those sort of uh, those sort of conversations are like in, in internally in the caucus I mean, obviously, I can't speak internally in caucus. I mm -hmm. mean, I don't. I'm not even. I don't even work federally. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say, broadly speaking, like the type of conversation that you're you're thinking about having is is we've had just had a referendum on his popularity. Mm -hmm. You know, like he's just ran for leader. He has a vote share. We can break it down. We can look at the polls. We can say, okay, this is what we're going to lose if we take somebody like this out of caucus, right? And that's. Uh, that puts everyone in a weird situation because like strategically the party's going to be thinking is are these kind of numbers numbers that we can ignore are these people that we are going to get back are these people that we are going to lose um potentially forever so with right now like in cambridge with belinda carahalios being kicked out of caucus provincially mm -hmm. you know that is one of the conversations that you're going to we're going to have right mm -hmm. it's what do we do with you know with that with that writing who do we feel there are we going to be like running against our own, like someone who was our own, our own person, mm -hmm. like our own people. Um, and what does that mean for writings, um, for, for their writing? So it's, it, it's, it's very complicated, but it's mm -hmm. probably going to come down to just a cold blooded, like these are the numbers, we lose them here. It's, this is the, these are the trade offs. Yeah. Um, and, um, 
Peter McKay was he was one of the 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 people who were running who was more um more well he was more warm to to kicking him out of the caucus and uh Aaron O'Toole, I'm not sure what's his stance right now, but I know Leslie Lewis said that uh, they should leave leave that to voters. Yeah. Um, and uh, so people are just watching what Aaron, the new leader, Aaron O'Toole, is going to do in terms of whether to kick out there, to, to kick him out, or to to keep him in caucus. But I, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see how you know because it's it's also kind of like one of those early defining moments for for the leader to uh, to to see what to do with those like controversial members of the caucus yeah and i mean it's 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 even weirder for somebody like o'toole who is ostensibly a lot closer to people like leslin and uh, sloan than she was to uh to, to peter mckay so it was like if I'm, you know, if, if I'm Aaron and I'm looking at these people who are probably closer to me, closer to my base than, than anything else. So he may not want to go and alienate those voters by keeping him out of caucus. But at the same time, like, you know, the, his recent press conferences and stance he's taking on rights and true blue conservatism and plurality of ideas mm-hmm. and, and that big blue tent brand. It might kind of go against that if you're saying, all right, you were talking about freedom of speech, you're talking about people having their own opinions, having debate internally and, and democratically, and then you go and you kick out somebody from caucus because he made a controversial statement, which uh, at least a segment of the base agrees with. So, you know, I don't think that he would just about face like that and turn on mm-hmm. his own rhetoric, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, I, I just don't think he's that type of leader. I think he's probably going to, there's probably going to be a conversation had with him and be internally and said, look, this is where I stand on these issues as leader, this is the line that we are going to toe. This is mm-hmm. things that are acceptable and unacceptable. And if that is an appeal to you, then he's out of caucus, right? Because we can still have those the, those very first person conversations. Mm-hmm. And so if, if that's where we're, I think that's probably more of a stance. And we're probably going to see, you know, we're going to see Sloan maybe say something, maybe not. But I, I suspect he's going to be very quiet for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, can I get into Peter McKay up? Uh, I even wrote, I wrote here, like in my notes, politics is very cruel. Shot of his family. Because I remember that night, yeah. like, he was a perceived front runner. Every, before the first ballot came out, everything's all good. And then you pan to, they they don't get that 40% of the yeah, that vote. That At that point, when he didn't get that 40%, like it seemed like nobody saw a path for them, for him to win. The... No, I mean, he didn't have a chance. Like, mm-hmm. he, 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 he didn't have a chance because the second, like, because, you know, your first... His first ballot is basically, is it going to be the left of the party if it's going to be the right of the party? The right of the party has been divided by three candidates, which means he needs to get at least 40%. Because that vote share is not going to go to him, right? There's only a really strange, like, strategic section of the conservative voter base that looks at O'Toole, that looks at um, McKay and says, look, I think he can bring over voters from the Liberal Party. That's going to put him in second place. But that's not what people are going to be voting on in the like in, in, in a leadership race mm-hmm. right you're looking you, you, most people aren't going to be thinking that strategically people are thinking look i like this candidate first i like this candidate next and i like this candidate third or, or fourth or, or, or not right like and and you had also a bunch of like social conservative organizations you had like fight for life and and a bunch of and, and the anti-abortion uh the anti-abortion organizations were like just put sloan leslin and don't put anyone else on the ballot right and you know I, so he was never going to get and, and like he was, he was never going to get, um, he was never going to win on a second or third ballot. 
um, and that was that was pretty much the consensus. So. Yeah, and, and what do you think of his uh, campaign overall? I know there are some mishaps. In I mean, terms look, his, of his campaign annoyed me. They yeah. they annoyed me. They were they went really really hard early days, mm-hmm. and like it they, they were and it was too much, right? Mm-hmm. They were calling my phone every day, sending me emails every day, and I was like, this is not like like we get it. You're the guy, mm-hmm. like you don't need to rub it in. Mm-hmm. And then after the debate, like the debate was really the turning point for me, where I really started to feel that he was gaining momentum because mm-hmm. even even though his French isn't great, isn't you know it's not as good as O'Toole's, yeah. Um, but you know he had little handwritten notes that he would send it out and print to everybody, and, and he was very he came out very clearly on a lot of issues and mm-hmm. really tried to be that open progressive face of the party. And then he started swinging around and, and picking up a lot of the minority votes. That's how he cleaned up the GTA by talking to the Tamil community, the Chinese community, the Muslim community in places like Markham. He lost uh, Pickering Uxbridge. He lost Durham, which is you know O'Toole's writings, but mm-hmm. the rest of the GTA he sweeped. Mm-hmm. By like a huge margin, but where he loses is he loses in you know um, you know rural Ontario. He loses in Alberta. He loses in Quebec. He's not doesn't do great in Saskatchewan, and it's like the Maritimes aren't enough for, aren't enough to carry like the big provinces like mm-hmm. that in terms of vote differential. So, mm-hmm. and yeah, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. So, um, well. After they lost the uh, the federal election in 2019, so I think the the conservative uh, the federal conservative party's uh, constitution demands that uh, they review the leadership if after losing an election. So they're supposed to review the leadership leadership uh, at the beginning of the year. I think uh, towards March 2020. Um, and uh, at first, Andrew Scheer announced that he intended to remain leader of the party and then but uh internally there was a lot of uh tensions and a lot of folks wanted him to to step down um you know and then afterwards we heard the news about you know the um about andrew sheer using some funds from the party to to pay for his kids school and stuff and then afterwards, that's where that's when he announced announced that he was going to step down as the leader of the Conservative Party. Um, but um, you know, but it, he also said that uh, he's going to stay in his MP seat for the foreseeable future, so he's not totally resi- resigning for as an MP. Um, yeah, and that's what that's what kicked kicked up the the race. And uh, yeah, just before going to the candidates, uh, I also just want to note that uh, there are a lot of big name candidates who didn't get, who didn't jump into the race, and it was kind of, you know, at least for me, it was just a bit bizarre. Um, it, at least it was interesting because uh, that could, I guess, that could tell us or give us some information about how people are seeing this particular uh leadership race right like uh, the arizona ambrose was the interim leader of the conservative party and the leader of the opposition between uh 2015 and 2017 um there was pierre poliev who also didn't get into the race there was other names you know like uh michael chong and a lot of folks who didn't get into the race and it's worth mentioning that some candidates uh, simply didn't qualify to get into the race because of either the signatures or uh, just the entrance fee, which was uh, 
really expensive was three hundred thousand uh, dollars per candidate. Yeah, but th- nevertheless, the entrance fee was quite expensive. You know, so that kind of narrowed the the race. Um, so we had, so the Conservative Party had four uh, candidates for leadership. The first one is uh, Leslie Lewis, who's a Toronto lawyer and was running using the slogan of uh, courage, compassion, and common sense. She was largely unknown to everybody in the political world before entering the race, but she she was able to raise the $300,000 entry fee, and she was also able to get the necessary signatures. Um, and uh, a lot of people are crediting that to how well she, her team was organized um, and uh, and just the support she got from other social conservative groups. Um, so her promises included four measures to restrict access to abortion. Uh, among them was banning the termination of a pregnancy due to the sex of the fetus. Uh, she also wanted to ex- establish a strategic oil reserve she also promised um, a five-point plan to address human trafficking and to stop the ex- expansion of categories for people eligible for uh, medical assistance in dying euthanasia. Um, yeah, and uh, the, the the second candidate is uh, Derek Sloan. Derek Sloan is also a lawyer um, and uh, entered uh, federal politics in. October last year uh, by winning the Eastern Ontario riding of Hastings, Lennox, and Addington. Um, he he had the backing of uh, social conservative groups uh, when he, as soon as he joined the race and he uh, he had like a 12-point pro-life plan. Um, his slogan was uh, conservative with, without apology. Um so he, uh, among the things that he pledged, he pledged to, inc- uh, to raise the minimum age for marijuana consumption to 25. Uh, he pledged to cut the, the annual number of immigrants to Canada by half. Uh, he pledged to withdraw Canada from the Paris Climate Agreement and, and, uh, other UN-backed treaties. Uh, he also pledged to withdraw Canada's contribution uh, to the to the World Health Organization, um, and uh, he had one of I guess the one of the defining moments in the in his campaign was when he uh, he made controversial statements uh, criticizing the loyalty of uh, Canada's chief public officer, Dr. Theresa Tam. Uh, who was born in Hong Kong, and uh, yeah, those remarks were too many racists, including myself. Um, the the sort of que- questioning people's loyalties because of their race or background is not something that's you know commonplace in Canadian politics. Uh, we saw some of that, like some of those, like because obviously in the U.S. it's more commonplace with the current president who. Uh, who questioned the questioned the legitimacy of the previous president and and who was often claiming or uh, doubting whether 
Barack Obama was born in, in the United States. But uh, in the Canadian context, you know, as I said, it's not commonplace, although we saw some of that with the, the campaign of uh, Maxime Bernier in in the previous federal election. And we addressed those sort of things. So you can go back to our episodes on the federal election. Uh, but yeah, so that was, you know, those kind of comments are pretty unpopular. And uh, yeah. So the next candidate uh, running is uh, Peter McKay. He was the leader of the Progressive Conservatives when it merged with the Canadian Alliance to form the more modern Conservative Party back in 2003. He played a senior role in uh, Stephen Harper's cabinet, in, including uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs, Defense and Justice. Um, and he stepped back from politics in 2015, and he's been living in Toronto uh, since then. Um, uh, his leadership slogan is Unite, Build, and Lead. Uh, so his, you know, like main promise is a jobs plan for Canada, which, which aims to rebuild after the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, it includes commitment to cut the GST for some sectors of the economy, a full review of the tax system, uh, an increase in military spending uh, to 2% of GDP, um, and and also his, uh, uh, his, his candidacy was seen as an, an attempt or an effort to kind of broaden the, the conservative base. You know, he's, he was seen to be more I guess more liberal than many of his other uh, uh, counterparts who were running in this race. Moving on, we have uh, Aaron O'Toole. O'Toole has been representing the GTA riding of Durham since winning a by-election in 2012. He uh, he became a member of the Conservative cabinet, uh, taking over the vet- veteran affairs portfolio in 2015. Uh, he served in the Royal Canadian Air Force before leaving, uh, before leaving for law school and uh, and going and uh, starting a career on Bay Street. Um, so he ran. He also ran for leadership in 2017, and he finished third behind uh, uh, behind Andrew Scheer and uh, and Maxime Bernier. Uh, so his slogan this time around is uh, true blue conservative leadership. So and it's an attempt to kind of uh, get support from from moderate and center right supporters in, in the conservative party. So, uh, yeah, so moving on, like, could you walk us through just the, uh, you know, just the results and the, the, the election night for the conservative leadership race? All right. Yeah, let's talk a bit about the the results and that night. As we said before, like it was a long night for anybody who was covering it. I was at the uh, I don't know if I can say where I was, but I was chilling. I was chilling with people. Some of them that work on the on the campaign, not on the campaign, but the, that that work in politics. And it was very. It was a it was a fun night at the house. But as the results kept getting delayed and delayed, you kind of had a feeling that like. Is gonna go into the the wee the wee hours, and then they came out with like 
I think they said that the ballots were getting shredded or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, the, the machine, machine was, was cutting through the ballots. Yeah, and yeah, it was all around. It was not a good look optically for the mm-hmm. conservatives, as Macau will probably talk about later as well. It talks about how it's just not. It, you just look incompetent as a party if this, if uh, if that's what you put forth. But but yeah, the, it was so interesting to see how the um, the pundits spoke about and that. Obviously, that comes from the Peter McKay team. They said that if Peter McKay doesn't get to that forty percent threshold of uh, of votes on the first ballot, mm-hmm. then the way to victory is almost impossible. Mm-hmm. Like that was really that was really it was really interesting to to see because after that first ballot went, they panned the camera to his family, and it was just pure despair. Like, but the Aaron O'Toole campaign, bro, they were like lit. They were having yeah. they were having a good time, and one. Especially one uh, province that really came out for a tour was Quebec. Like mm-hmm. Quebec was huge because uh, when you when you put it all together, Ontario and uh, Ontario and Quebec like they account for most of the of the points allocated in the whole in the whole election, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that he destroyed Quebec and forgot how much he got that specifically that that helped them out a lot because when it came to Ontario, the they they were McKay and I think even Leslie Lewis they were, they were tight, so nobody really took over all those points allocated. But when it came to Quebec, what totally really took over. Yeah, for sure. It was a, it was it was definitely a long night, but the I'm I'm happy that I chose not to watch the whole thing. I was uh we weren't together. I was uh, I went to visit some folks in uh, Oshawa and I was just I spent the entire day just watching the NBA games. Um you know, but I was I was just checking on my phone every 15 to 20 minutes if they had the results yet. And, you know, it, they kept getting delayed and, uh, you know, um, and they announced at, at, uh, 1 a.m., I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, like, I started watching, I think I spent, uh, I watched the last hour of it. And, you know, I noticed the same thing, you know, at the beginning you had the, uh, the McKay team, uh, just, and the O'Toole team just, uh, stre- stressed because they didn't know what was going to happen. But after the, the first ballot and that, uh, when McKay didn't, like, he couldn't reach that 40%, you know, because, um, folk, folks knew that, uh, you know, if he doesn't reach that, it's hard to to get more support from from down the ballot because you know, like the Leslie Lewis people and the the Derek Sloan people aren't aren't that excited about McKay. They, their second choice, uh, I guess, their third choice would be uh, Aaron O'Toole, right? And as you're moving uh, along to the second and third ballot, uh, Aaron O'Toole was definitely going to pick up those 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 uh supporters so yeah um but you know this race was it was interesting you know from the onstart and as i mentioned first of all because it was a narrow race in terms of how many candidates decided to run um and just how how the party decided also decided to narrow the race by uh rising the entry fee but also uh at but also the the pandemic, how the pandemic affected the the races, because um, you know at the beginning, as as they, they 
the the race started to uh, kick up obviously we we went through the first months of the pandemic and all, pretty much all of them had to shut down their campaigns and uh, but uh, Peter McKay had like this unusual like this kind of bizarre you know um uh, communication strategy where he he didn't want the race to be delayed at least the the I guess the the date of the vote to be to be postponed, um, and he would post that the uh, uh, democracy democracy cannot wait. I think something like that. If I'm paraphrasing that correct, I don't know. He said something like democracy cannot wait. We voted through world wars, so we can vote through a pandemic, and which for me was a bit bizarre. Um, at first, because I was wondering, why do you need to, you know, why do you need to, you know, go as strong on this at first? And, and also, this is not a world war, you know, the, the, the threat this time around is much, dif- it's much different. It's, it's a pandemic, you know, it's not, uh, it's not about bumps or, you know, like, and also, this is a conservative leadership race. It's not the main election. So, ex- exactly. You know, it's not necessary. Yeah, it's and even if because at first we, you know, there is uncertainty regarding the pandemic. We didn't know how fast the virus was spreading, and you know, just how everything was going to to look in you know just a few weeks or at times just you know a few days or you know everything was changing rapidly. So I was wondering why would you want to be uh, stand as strongly and. Uh, and uh, strongly oppose moving the date when, like, you know, things could get better or worse. You know, you just need time to to kind of tell where things are going. Yeah, yeah. I think the uh, one thing that also was interesting about the night is Aaron Tool's speech. Like, it was mm-hmm. it was a really good speech. Like, mm-hmm. I, um, I I really really like that speech and also i remember they posted on the beyond culture page about like a quote from the speech basically where Aaron of is saying that whether you're black white whether you're indigenous whether you're lgbt or straight basically saying whether whoever you are you have a home in a conservative party mm-hmm. and somebody had commented in the comment section saying why are you posting this propaganda you know what these words are bs mm-hmm. and i think it, that comment is is probably for a lot of people that he named that in that group that are supposedly have a home in the conservative party. He has to answer to those people because those words, like that guy said, for some for a lot of people, it's like this is just BS. He's just saying mm-hmm. that to get our votes. Like mm-hmm. that's his one. This, that's one. Aaron O'Toole needs to turn his words into like policies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like the words are fine, but now how do you? How are you going to show? those people, say the LGBT, black people, and et cetera, that, you know what, you have a home within the party because we're supporting you, not mm-hmm. because we're just saying it as, as is, right? Well, how we, what policies are we doing to help you and your, and your group? And I think that's what he's going to need to answer because when that comment came in, like, I was like, bro, that's a, that's, that's, that comment is actually, it's a good pulse on, like, the people that they're not told message, like, and it's really what he's going to have to answer as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. I I didn't like watch the speech, but I just read. I basically just read it, and I was like, uh, I thought it was a good speech, um, for a new leader. And uh, 
you know, and I knew it was a good speech because, uh, like, some people who aren't really political actually talk to me about it. They're like, did you did you see the speech? It was it was pretty good, you know, and not and not conservative people, just like you know, just like some apolitical folks. Um, and uh, you know, the like what, what was striking to me is that uh, so when as you know in as when I was looking at the campaign. You know, like uh, throughout the campaign, there was sort of Peter McKay was sort of uh, do, giving those sort of speeches, right? He was the one trying to expand the base, um, uh, at least to to the left of the party and bring in some more people from the left. And you know, and uh, Aaron O'Toole, uh, his strategy wasn't exactly you know reach out to the people on the left, although like his strategy was all. You know, it's it's not as simple as that, but uh, but it was kind of it was kind of interesting to see the switch as he became the party leader and he recognized that he has to he has to reach out to more people, I suppose. You know, and and uh, give a speech saying that whether you you came in Canada three weeks ago or you're a member of the LGBTQ community, you're you have a home in, in the conservative party, you know, um, you know, it's, it's interesting and it's going to be interesting to see where exactly, um, he takes the party, right? What he thinks the party needs in order to, to be competitive in, in the, uh, in the next elections, which might happen, uh, sooner than many people expect. Right? Mm-hmm. And like also, um, uh, I think, one of the one of the main things like that's gonna happen for him is because he's the one I believe that told that said that when Andrew Shear had lost last election he's like he missed an open net like we had a shot. No, that was Peter McKay. Oh, that was Peter McKay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I was about because I was about I was about to say like now he kind of has a burden of what could potentially be a snap election depending on on what the party wants and etc. And we'll 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 see what happens, but I don't think any of those parties are ready for an election. And we'll talk more about it in our federal election episode, but I don't mm-hmm. think those guys are ready for an election. And the and as in the NDP and the Conservative. Yeah, it's um you know, it's going to be interesting just for him, um in terms of managing the uh the social conservative base and the most like right leaning social conservative base that will which supports uh, some of which supports Derek Sloan and also trying to kind of you know uh give trying to give that image that the 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 party is is a big enough tent to include the people he talked about in in his speech right um you know uh you know we'll we'll see where that goes right and you know a snap election might happen we don't know we'll see we'll see about that in the the next coming in the few in the upcoming few weeks as the um the liberals are going to give a phone speech on uh september 23rd and there's going to be a confidence vote uh, around there um i you know i don't know I'm not sure whether it's going to pass or not, but uh, whether uh, 
the snap election is going to happen, but a lot of it uh, is depend depends on the NDP, which doesn't seem too eager to to have an election. As Jagmeet Singh has been saying that he's focused on helping people and not having an election. So yeah, um, you know, just uh, I guess look out for our episode on the just federal politics in general. Um, uh, we're we're gonna have one soon, and we'll discuss just the, the parties where they are, and and also the we scandal, um, and uh, just the potential uh, any potential election. You know, just uh, look out for that, and uh, yeah.